I think a lot of guys have this misconception that when they get married, that all their struggles with lust and pornography go away. I've not seen that. I've seen it actually, the struggle magnifies and goes to a new level, especially if they don't deal with it. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh and I am co-founder of the Union Movement. If you are new to the Union, we are all about helping people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered and holistic approach. So we're so glad that you joined us today. Uh, We hope that today's conversation is just really life-giving for you and is equipping in your walk uh, to see the beauty of God's design uh, for so many areas, specifically the ones mentioned, like some easy topics like sexuality, identity, and relationships, because those are just always so easy to approach. Man, it has been an exciting couple weeks here at the Union. Um, I was down with some friends of ours from Apologetics Canada uh, down in San Antonio, Texas, Uh, at the ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society's conference. And it was honestly so much fun uh, to be with our friends at Apologetics Canada, but also just taking some really high-level academic teaching and biblical theology. It was just really, really, really good. But we then jumped right into our first ever Young Adults Conference. And we are just, we were just so pumped with how well the event went and so thankful for all of you uh, who participated, who came out and were a part of uh, part of the weekend. We hope and pray that it was impacting in your life. We just want to say a huge thank you to also to our volunteers and all of you who gave financially to sponsor the event. Um, we just could not have done it without you. It was such a, such a privilege to be able to uh, pour into the people who came. They're all the all of our registrants, and um, yeah, we just couldn't have done it without you. We're so thankful for your partnership. Uh, but because of those last couple of weeks, it's kind of delayed the release of this episode. But today, here we are in episode 82, and I get to sit down with Pastor Matthew Schlesinger. And if you remember, Bonnie sat down uh, with his wife Sabrina in our last episode as they talked about sexuality within marriage and as having a better sex life from a perspective of women. And today. Uh, Matthew and I, we sit down and we talk about it from a man's perspective. And I know that, uh, I know it's going to be just, just such a great conversation. Matthew's got such a great heart and a passion to help, uh, men live to their full potential and live in a way that's Christ honoring and, uh, good for society, good for women and children who are around us. So anyways, uh, pastor Matt is the senior pastor of Grace Church North County in San Diego, California. He's got a huge heart for that city and more so to make Jesus known within that city. And he really, really loves God's word and really believes that there's transformation that comes from God's presence. So I'm so excited uh, just to cue this up and I hope that you enjoy uh, my conversation here with Pastor Matthew Schlesinger. All right, Matt, welcome to the Union Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. Hey, I'm so excited to be with you. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's so good, man. We're, yeah, we're, like I said, we're glad to have you. Now, our wives just recently sat down and talked about sexuality within marriage and some of the lies that that women face, you know, even within the church, but just overall within culture. Um, And so we're going to sit down today and talk about the challenges that men face and maybe some of the lies that, uh, that men experience within the church, but within culture as well. But I'd love just to hear a little bit about your story, um, how you came to Christ, and obviously you're a, you're, I didn't mention this, but you're a pastor in the beautiful city of San Diego. And um, tell us a little bit about your story, how that happened, uh, how you got married, and how you met Sabrina, and, and all that good stuff. 
For sure. I'll give, if my wife tells this story, she gives a long romantic drawn out version. I give the cliff notes and in the shorter version, the reader's digest version, but we actually, Sabrina and I, uh, we've been married for going on 23 years. We have four kids and we actually grew up in the same small little town called the Dallas, Oregon in the Northwest, never knew each other. Our families knew each other. She moved to the Seattle area. I moved to the Portland area. I've been a pastor's kid my whole life. And and you survived. Um, I, I, I'm trying to live down the reputation <laughs> of PKs. Praise I God. I to it fairly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, usually people get saved and then go to Bible college. I went to Bible college and got saved. So a little bit backwards. Hey. And um, uh, actually, I went because my parents begged me to go. It was kind of a last ditch effort. And my friend went with me and said, hey, there's going to be girls there. And so that was. Check that box. You know, that was it. And, and, but really during that season of being about 20 to 21 years old, I, I encountered the Lord. And in that season, I met Sabrina in, in the Seattle area and we got married around 2000 and went to work with my dad in Oregon where we pastored for 11 years and just um, really began to fall in love with the, the city of San Diego. Uh, Tony Gwynn was probably the best San Diego Padre who's ever played for the team. Um, at least he's a legend down here. But he wrote, I think it was a memoir or some sort of book that was written about him or he wrote. I can't remember. But the title was I Left My Heart in San Diego. And when I saw that book, I I, I could relate. I, so I feel like God just yanked our heart out and put it in here in this uh, part of the country that has become now really the, an epicenter for what's going on nationally in America. Uh, people are leaving California by the droves. They like to go to Texas and Florida and freedom. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so California, even when we have people visit from other states, there, there, there is a reputation that precedes Californians right. and uh, where everyone's bailing and leaving. We, we really feel God's called us here to, um, make a difference. This is our mission field. So good. And so we're raising our kids, telling them that, that you, we've told them since they were little, you're missionaries. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have been called to Timbuktu or some crazy part of the world. God really loves you, put you in Southern California and where the climate's perfect, but really desperately needs Jesus. Like mm -hmm. I grew up, I grew up and we sent missionaries around the world. I'm like, Hey, can we send, can you send them back? Like get, we need some missionaries from Africa to come to California. Cause it's a crazy world. I'm not sure where Canada's at right now, but oh, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I've, I've heard, I've heard uh, California though is leading the way in almost every negative, um, biblical toxic trend today. Yeah. And so we are swimming upstream here. And I, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing when we can connect with other ministries and voices. I just want to thank you guys for being loud and bold and speaking up and declaring the truth in a culture that is going uh, the opposite direction. It's, it's good to be around people that are willing to go against the grain. Yeah. Amen. And, Get yeah. back to God's word. So thank you for that. And all that to say, I'm, I'm glad to be here. That was a long answer, actually. <laughs> hey, man, fellow preachers, we don't, there's no short answer. 
Right. I'm just I'm surprised you didn't like recite some Greek word or the he, original Hebrew word. Well, I'm or about to take an offering. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Forget our prayer team come forward. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. Like and even as you're, you're talking about California is leading the way, I feel like. Like just just hit the ground running here about Canada, not to make it about us. I want to talk about you, but like Canada is is grouped with uh, North Korea and China as far as having no law around abortion. So human life, like this is what we're trumpeting. This is what we're bringing to other nations of the world. And this is who we're grouped with. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's been in some of the darkest times of history that we've seen um, some, some of the most dynamic moves of God. And I think even within California, you have the Azusa street revival and, and so many different things that have taken place. And, And sure there was things that have gone on within all revivals that, you know, that where man kind of got in the way, but like, I don't think you can argue with the fruit, um, of the transformation of, of culture and the transformation of the human soul. So as much as like, I feel the heartache for our nation and, and for, for the U S cause we love the U S and we love, we love the people of God and, and people, but we love what God's doing in, in the U S but, uh, we got some work ahead of us, but I believe that the best is definitely yet to come. So there's my long, long reply, I like it. my I long like retort. It. Yeah. So, um, obviously you're pastoring at a church called grace church in North County. Tell us a little bit about that story and how you came in into that position and just really the work that you and uh, Sabrina are doing there. Well, we, we got here about 11 years ago and um, started with a small group of people and it's been a fun adventure over these 10, 11 years. Uh, We're located fairly close to Camp Pendleton, which if you're familiar with uh, military world, it's, it's a massive military base for the Marine Corps. So we do have strong ministry just by default. We constantly have uh, an influx of Marine families coming to our church. So it's almost like a unique arm of our church ministry to be able to, while we have them, while they're assigned here to invest in them. I love the Marines. I'm for them, but they they are, many of them are really messed up. They look tough on the outside. Oh yeah. They're they're excuse me if you hear a dog barking. My neighbor's dog, I think, is on crack cocaine and drives me crazy. I apologize. <laughs> um, but I, I love the Marines, but they're they're it is not an environment conducive for strong family and marriages. In sure. fact, that's one of the reasons when we got here, I never thought of myself as like a marriage ministry guy. I grew up in a church again. My dad was a pastor, so all the marriage ministry guys that came in were like the old guys that were kind of weird and boring. So I never like had that even on my radar to aspire towards, but it really became such a pressing point for us that we couldn't help but lean into uh, strengthening and coming along marriages that we're just seeing them get annihilated. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's it's not just a Marine Corps problem. In fact, someone told me when we moved to, to Oceanside, I don't know how actual this statistic is, so it may be off, but I think it's accurate. They said that 84% of the Marine families on Camp Pendleton, which is like 80,000 people. It's a massive city. Sure. Um, 84% of them are getting divorced. And I thought, no way. Wow. But after pastoring them for a couple of years, I, I would say that's fairly accurate. Wow. And then I realized that's, it's not just a military problem. It's, this is like a, this is a human it's problem. A human pro- yeah, absolutely. Civilian or military is, it, we, we are seeing such an attack against family today, like never before. And so we really had to just, 
some, some, I don't go looking for fights, but I felt like this fight came to us. Sure. Yeah. And we realized that if, if we don't do something about this in the next couple of decades, we're, we're going to see such annihilation in families and not just couples that are going to get destroyed and have heartache and all kinds of devastation, but the kids, which are the casualties of broken marriages and families. And that's one of the reasons why we have really leaned into specific marriage ministry. And despite my preconceived ideas of the marriage ministry guy, we uh, began to really invest in marriage ministry. If there's anybody that's in church world or pastoring that's listening, I believe that one of the greatest outreach ministries for any church is marriage ministry. Absolutely. Because you're going to reach people. They, when people are hurting and needing help in their marriage, that might be the only impetus that will push them to step into a church. Yeah. And the reality is Christian and non-Christian marriage is tough yeah. and they need help and they need support. And so we've, all that to say is we've really leaned into marriage ministry It's a massive part of uh, Sabrina and I, our, our personal ministry, our church has gotten behind that. We, our motto is if you get the marriage right, you get the nation right. Yeah. Because I, I really think the mar- the marriage is a microcosm of society. Absolutely. And, and is a fabric that holds it together. So it's no wonder hell is so bent on destroying marriage. Yeah. And it, it, I don't even think you need to be super spiritual to see that that hell is coming against everything that God has established. I mean, Absolutely. God came right out the gate. Genesis 1, like he got really politically incorrect out the gate and started saying things crazy in our culture, like uh, marriage is one man, one woman, address the gender issue that yeah, there's actually only two, uh, start talking about like, have lots of babies, don't don't kill them in the womb, like just politically incorrect stuff. I appreciate yeah. God not being politically correct. Yeah. And everything he's established is under such attack today, like never before. So there's ever an hour for for marriage ministry, it's now. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think, and one of the unique connections that we have is with our good friend, uh, Jim Anderson. Yeah. And, um, it just reminded me of something that he said is that the, the nation, and I don't, maybe this wasn't, maybe Jim wasn't even quoting, maybe I'm not even quoting Jim. I could be quoting somebody else. We'll but, give him credit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you just have to say it a few times and then you can say, I, I've always said this actually, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That was mine. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, he says that the nation is only as strong as a church in that nation. And the church is only as strong as a family in those, na- yes. in, in that church. And the family is only as strong as the man and the woman, the team that God's brought together. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think you're absolutely right. Like these, these core realities of what it means to be human, these core realities of God's design uh, for family, for the flourishing of humanity and the flourishing of generations. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've often said this. I don't think I've I ever thought that the question "What is a woman or what is a man?" would be an offensive question. Yet that's no, that's the battleground yeah, we that's, that we're in. We and um, so I just so appreciate that, man. I, I love your heart. Now, I'd love to hear your perspective. Um, obviously, like I said before, our wives had the chance to sit down and talk about the challenges that women face within marriage and sexuality, and and keeping. And having a healthy perspective of sexuality when everything within culture is just bombarding us with a, a twisted, perverted perspective on it. 
um, we, we want to cover the perspective for, for men today. Like as you're pastoring young men and, and maybe even older men, but like, what are the, the challenges that you're seeing, uh, men face when it comes to sexuality? Well, there's, there's a number, I guess I could take some of the top ones that I am constantly bumping up against with the guys in our region. I don't think it's isolated or excluded to Southern California. I think one of the one of the big issues is the issue of fatherlessness. Mm. Uh, they have no role models that are teaching them how to be a man, how to do marriage, how to be a husband, how to be a father. So there's this massive void of uh, there's no fathers. Right. And, and Paul predicted that in the New Testament. That was that was the trend then. But it, it's it's exponential now. There's I'm constantly meeting with men that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even older that that are so broken on the inside, have no identity, no value, no worth, no no standard of anything because of of father wounds and fatherlessness. So I think that's a that's a huge contributor. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think fathering can address and solve most if not all of our societal problems Hmm. if there were fathers in the home fathers like you mentioned like jim anderson that would uh, raise strong sons and daughters i think another major debilitator for men today and it, it it's an epidemic is is the the accessibility and availability of pornography Mm -hmm. It, it's it's a societal rot, yeah. And it's it's not just a man problem; it's more and more becoming a woman's uh, issue as well. But I I grew up. I'm 46. I just turned 46 the other day, and I grew up where, man, if you had to, if you wanted to get a hold of pornography, there yeah. had to be a level of like I don't know if I'd call it bravery, but maybe guts to walk into the 7-Eleven and get the magazine off the rack. You totally. know what I mean? Yeah, or go go raid some dad's stash under his bed or in the garage, but those those days are gone. It's a click away, and it's been that way obviously for a while. But it is so pervasive now. Mm-hmm. You 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 don't have to go looking for illicit content. It will find you. And I've got an eleven year old son, and uh, so so I'm becoming even more aware that you know how how there is an agenda to capture his attention, yeah, his eye gate, and ultimately his heart. So I sit with these men that have, that are being annihilated. It, it is addiction. I don't, I don't remember who said it, but again, I'm, I'm not going to be good with the factual quotes, but somebody smarter than me, uh, <laughs> that, that pornography is more addictive than crack cocaine. Yeah. I believe that. Absolutely. And out of all of all the things wrong with pornography that that it opens the door to hell in your life in your family it literally will rewire your brain mm-hmm. um it is highly addictive it's also this is what i see it is training young men in their singleness it's training them to be unsatisfied sexually with one spouse with one wife absolutely it's like they are training themselves practicing for an affair because that's what it is and so we are seeing uh, where we are uh, couples I, I sit with in 10 years i've sit i'm not exaggerating this with with hundreds of couples that they're 
their marriage is imploding and exploding because of affairs. And um, I can almost now spot them as they're walking towards me after a Sunday service or when they're approaching me, I, before the, a word comes out of their mouth, I, I know what they're going to say. I can spot it from a mile away. And so there is a high rate of marriages that are, they're getting devastated mm-hmm. because they've cracked the door to that. So those, those are fatherlessness and pornography are two areas I see that are really contributing to the breakdown of the nuclear family, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think because the presence of a father establishes identity, you know what I mean? Like the presence, I just think Absolutely. in my boy's life, like my words of affirmation and unfortunately, like, cause like I, I'm not knocking it out of the park every time, you know what I mean? But like, even my, my failures can impart a sense of identity too. You know, my, my, if I don't handle something well, or if I respond too quickly or too brashly, it can leave a, a mark on them. But this Let's just imagine that there's no voice at all. There's nobody modeling even along the lines of like emotional health. Like we, we, like I go, I think about like my dad's generation was parented by the generation that came out of world war two. You know what I mean? So this is where the idea of like real men don't cry. You push your emotions down, (laughs) but, but where are we, where are we seeing the emotions come out? We're seeing it in alcohol abuse. We're seeing it in drug abuse. We're seeing it in pornography. We're seeing it, it. the emotional pressure has to find a relief valve. And I, and I think when you haven't had a, a solid, um, present, like imperfect dad, but a present engaged dad, um, it, it leaves that void of identity. And so who just sweeps right in? Well, the culture sweeps right in with the, Hey, this is what real manhood looks like. It looks like Andrew Tate, or it looks like, right. You know, that's our model. Yeah. You know, some misogynistic, um, type of, you know, money, power, sex, you know, this, this is what I'm about. And I go that, that leaves so many men just still broken. Um, and yeah. I figure if Jesus, the son of God needed to hear the words from his father, Mm -hmm. who he was, yeah. When he came up out of the waters in baptism and he heard the voice of his father, this, this is my son. I'm well-pleased like words of affirmation, words of identity, words of value. I love him. Like if Jesus needed to hear that, and it actually, that launched him into his public ministry. Yeah. And I think it propelled him. Yeah. I think we can do the same with our words to our kids to instill that value, that identity, that worth. And it's like a launching pad. Absolutely. That's how my dad was for me. I, I look back now, years later and realize that that was a game changer. Mm-hmm. My dad wasn't perfect. Neither was I, but those, those words of value and identity from a dad, yeah. not to dismiss moms because they're powerful too, but absolutely something significant that in my opinion only comes from a father yeah. that gets lodged in the heart of, of a child. Yeah. And one of the interesting things I, like, I guess I just, I noticed in that story when Jesus is baptized he, and the, the voice from heaven speaks this is my son in whom I'm well pleased is he hasn't done a miracle yet. He hasn't nothing, done anything. Nothing. This, no pedigree. Yeah. And, and I, I no, no, no portfolio. I mean, no, no performance. Yeah. I, I think that's profound because it's not based on what he did. Yeah. And cause I, I think I've, I've shared this maybe once or twice on the podcast, but um, you know, my dad only heard that 
his his dad, my grandpa, loved him one time, and that was when that he crazy? that was that was when he uh, graduated university. Wow. He said, "I love you." So the love was connected to wow. accomplishment. The love was connected to, um, yeah, just accomplishment, getting things done. Now you now you've you've made yourself, you know, right? And now you can hear these things. And I go, wow. Oh man, we need the gospel so bad. You know what I mean? Cause like it, the gospel is that good news. It's not about what you've done. It's about what God has done and sending his own son for you, you know? And, um, you know, I think young men obviously have a multitude of hills to climb some obstacles. It's not easy to be a man. Um, I even heard a rat, like a pretty radical testimony of a, I always forget how to say it. So it's a woman who's transitioned to be a man. Okay. And uh, so I don't know if that makes her him, her a trans man. I guess that's right. Trans man. Sorry. This is just the world we're living in. You think I should know this? You know what I mean? Um, but they were talking about the level of depression that they faced once they fully transitioned and started taking uh-huh. the hormones and having facial hair. And like, you look at this person and you can tell me if I didn't know. And if they didn't say that they were a biological woman, mm-hmm. I would have no idea. And they said it, they, they dealt with the regret of the transition because of the, the, um, the sense of loneliness that they felt as a man, the sense of like immediately being, um, fear, like people being fearful of them, you know, just like it was, it was just not easy being a man. And I think it's a difficult time for young men to be strong and to, and to see that their presence is needed and valuable because everything that has a sense of masculinity to it is kind of written off as toxic. You know what I mean? Right. How do you speak to young men and how do you try to confront that narrative within culture, within the work you're doing within the church? That that's an area that we have to be really deliberate with and intentional because there is a culture that's being very loud and intentional to define manhood. And I think there are two extremes that you touched on it. It's either you have the Andrew Tate model. That's this misogynist toxic, toxic masculinity. Then you have was becoming more of a push in my opinion of, um, making man feminine right and blurring those lines passive at least at least passive yeah yes yeah i mean think about it even most most of every disney i don't watch disney shows maybe it's changed but i don't think it has most every disney show the dumbest one in the family's the dad yeah he's an idiot the smartest one's the dog the dad's the dumb one it's like what's going on here it's just this subtle it just reflects, I think, culture's view of manhood mm-hmm. and the man has become silent. So, you know, we say get the marriage right, get the nation right. But I do think you can take it back. If you get the man, you get the family. Right. Out of the home. Right. And so men's ministry ought to be a priority. So we're, we're, we are, um, I think men are hungry for it. We're seeing that in California that they want to be challenged. They want to grow and they, they want some strong men that will pour into them and teach them from a corporate level of what it means to be a man, but also personally having 
a real system and flow of discipleship and mentoring that's that's functional so guys can deal with their excuse my French, deal with their crap mm-hmm. and deal with their their issues and take the mask off and get real and say, this is what I'm struggling on. I'm I'm always shocked that when we provide those places and spaces, yeah. men who typically you I just for so long thought men don't want to get vulnerable and honest with one another. But every time we provide that space, I'm shocked that yeah. they're willing to just uncover it all and say this, this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. And it's, it's provided so much freedom. It's provided so much healing. And so my takeaway is, man, they are, men are hungry today, especially young men to, to learn what does it really mean to be a man? And the God's word is full of what that looks like. Absolutely. I mean, we have the answers. Yeah. And so that's been one of our joys is to create a church that is, that has healthy levels of testosterone and masculinity, according to God's word. Absolutely. I teach our church real manhood. I mean, David told his son, act like a man. I think Paul in the Testament, I can't remember the reference. He he, He he challenged, act like a man. Like it's possible to act like you're not a man. So I tell our, I tell our guys, act like a man means don't act like a woman, not to dismiss and disregard the importance of women, but um, you are a man, you are unique, not, not superior, but you are unique without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, it means don't act like a beast. It means don't act just being controlled by your surges and urges. And it means don't act like a little boy that the world caters to you. So we're just in a season right now where we're seeing some real fruit about two years ago. I, I felt the Lord tell us to really pour into men. Men's ministry just wasn't, I guess I've, I've been reluctant to marriage ministry and men's ministry. And both of those are really strengths right now in our church, just because we gave them attention. There you go. And we're seeing the fruit of that. And I love it. So good. Well, I'd love to talk. I'd love to jump in and start talking about like sexuality within marriage, but I think it's really important that that baseline of like identity and true masculinity is set because I think often within the church, when we started to talk about sexuality it's like, hey guys, just hold on until you get married, and then it's just, it's just <laughs> an all. Yeah, exactly, and it's like, yeah, Take a cold shower. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but like, you know, sex is beautiful, and it's going to be great. It may not always be great, but it's going to be, and you may not knock it out of the park the first time, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to figure out it's a journey. I'll, I'll, I'll digress here a little bit because I was up at a youth conference in Alaska, and I. I'd had almost one of those like youth pastor moments where you just like you say something and then you're just like, oh, please, words come back, please. You know what I mean? (laughs) I just released like a like a flock of doves. I just released these words. And I was talking to a bunch of like middle school and like high school age students. And I said to them, like, guys, what do you think happened on my wedding night? And it's just like I just let the awkwardness sit there. (laughs) And then I said and then like after the kind of giggling and stuff like that stopped, I said, my wife and I began our journey of sexual intimacy that was going to go on for the rest of our marriage. And because I wasn't talking about like this idea of the, the wedding night just being like this fireworks show and this, you know, this big performance that it's the beginning of a journey of intimacy together. Good. But I think uh, just to jump back on the track, I think young men in the church are just dealing with a sense, okay, I just got to hold on to marriage. And then it's just going to be like this, all you can eat buffet, just sex all the time, always naked, always just, (laughs) you know, but like, how do you bring a healthy perspective 
to sexuality, seeing that it is beautiful. It's not, it's not gross. It's, and it's not God, but it's a gift. But how do you, how do you bring that perspective towards young men and, and really provide like a reality for them? Well, I think first of all, we've got to talk about it. Like the church needs to talk yes. about it. And, and I do think the church more in this generation is willing to approach the subject of sex. Um, we have to, because the world is, and I just, I made up my mind. I don't want my church to learn. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take it beyond the church. I don't want my kids to learn about sex because they Cardi B taught them about it. Yeah. Cause she will. Absolutely. We live in a state where if parents don't teach their kids about sex, their teachers will, they're going to learn it. Uh, culture will TikTok will. So I want to be the first to the punch on that one to establish a foundation. This, this is what sex is. So I want to do that with my kids and my family, but I think it needs to happen in the church. I grew up in, in the eighties and nineties and youth group and kids ministry. We never talked about sex. I think about this the other day. My dad's a great dad. We never had the birds and the bees talk. I still don't know what birds and bees have to do with sex. Like what <laughs> the heck, but we just, we never had that. Yeah. I think it was more of a taboo subject in previous generations, especially in church culture. Well, I don't even think it was just church culture in America. I don't know if you were familiar with this, but Nancy Reagan in the eighties and nineties, sometime in that era with drugs, it was uh, just say no. Right. Now it's kind of the campaign. Just say no. Well, looking back on that, studies have proven over and over again that did not work. It didn't just it didn't just prove to be ineffective. It actually produced the opposite effect, hmm. and 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 we saw a spike, and that actually contributed to. It. So my point is, is the the just say no to sex, the the just um, just wait and hold on because because I grew up as like. Sex is dirty. Sex is bad. And nobody actually said that, but that was kind of the, in the church. It was yeah. like, just hold off, hold off, hold off. Don't do it. Don't do it. Fight the urge. It's dirty. It's bad. Out of marriage It's dirty. It's bad. Out of marriage It's gross, icky. And then you get married. It's like, go have sex. Like, well, wait a minute. That's, that's yeah. the best we got to, to no. We, so I think presenting the, the beauty of sex, that it's sacred, it's holy. It's like, like fire is a gift, but it, it works best when it's in a fireplace. Mm -hmm. When the fire gets outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. It's devastating. And it, it can provide warmth. It can provide heat and beauty and atmosphere. Sex is the same thing. It's a gift from God. And so I think I think the church has got to bring God's perspective that it's not just what we're against. It's got to be what are we for? And sure. we're, we're doing it. God's, God's literally doing it, yeah. no pun intended, God's way. And the beauty of that and the rewards of that, the fulfillment of that. Um, so it's got to be addressed in the body of Christ, in Absolutely. my opinion. Yeah. So we're just talking about, it. I love my wife. She, she is, um, she's, she doesn't get bashful on the subject. I blush pretty easy. She'll, she'll go the deep end of the pool on the sex topic with you all day long. And I, I get, I get red in the face. Um, I'm more of a prude, I guess, but where, where, whatever spectrum you're on, I think we've got to be addressing the subject and get louder about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, there's a quote by Dallas Willard where he says that reality is what hits you or is what you encounter when you're wrong. 
And there's, mm-hmm. there's this false, pers- like this false presenting of genuine se- of sexuality that's being portrayed through pornography. Um, oh, and so even young men who are in the church trying to serve God, it's just like, but this is something about, this is something kind of in the background of their life that they're, um, they're engaging in, and participating in consuming this, this product that it's shaping the the way that their brain works and the way that it views women. And I know that's part of my story. Like I, I came to Christ in 2003 and as you guys know, like you don't get your stuff figured out and then come to Jesus. It's like you come with all the good, bad and ugly right. parts of your life and you allow Jesus to take it over. But um, the kind of the message of the culture as I was growing up was just that women are objects. Women are meant to be, pursued and consumed and then discarded you know and so that was so much of my uh, experience Mm -hmm. but it was also connected to the shaping of pornography that women are primarily sexual like how do you pastorally um begin to like shape that healthy perspective in that area again and encouraging young men to see women not as the the culture presents them as kind of the the cosmopolitan woman you know, right. But how do you, how do you actually right. see them as the daughter, as, um, as just even a person, not just a body, not just a, an attractive being, but like a person with emotion, with all these other human dynamics. How do you do that? Are, are in the context of a married couple? Is that what you're referring just to? Just within culture of the church, yeah. just within like, how do, how have you been approaching that to try to instill that within young men to kind of counteract the effect of pornography? Um, that's, I think it's a great question. I'm not sure I can pinpoint the, the, the specific things we do, but, uh, I would, I would say we, we will try to present a picture of what a godly marriage does look like sure. and that it's not a consumeristic thing of what's in it for me, mm. this idea of I'm going to go in, and some guys go from singleness into marriage. I, I thought this way, man, I, I won't lust anymore if I get married and, and which is crazy. Um, we just need to have a moment of silence for the young man whose dreams just <laughs> died. <laughs> you, you mentioned we're gonna be naked all the time. We're gonna have sex yeah. in every room four times a day. And, uh, I think a lot of guys have this misconception that when they get married, that all their struggles with lust and yep. pornography go away. I've not seen that. I've seen it actually the struggle magnifies mm. and goes to a new level, mm-hmm. especially if they don't deal with it. And so uh a guy that would be listening right now, I would say one there needs to be some level of deliverance. I think when you've opened the door to at the end of the day, pornography is demonic. Mm. And I don't know what your theological persuasion on the demonic might be, but you are, I, I believe it opens a door to hell yeah. and allows the bottom of the barrel demons to have a heyday in your life yeah, and create such a stronghold that creates shame, creates all kinds of condemnation, creates mm. wrong perspective of women. And, and it, there are strategies and techniques I think a young man could could apply to his life to keep himself pure boundaries and and practical strategies of of, of safeguards. But if that's all we've got, we're, we're banking on our own strength. Yeah, I'm convinced 
just like I need the grace of God to really do a transformative work in my life, every young man's going to need that same power. I, I just, I really think Jesus still saves and delivers today yes. yeah, and has the power to come in and annihilate what the enemy has established in our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. He can do that in a, in a second. And then we have to be able to walk out the fruit of repentance. And that requires confession to get honest um, and then training them how to in marriage. I'm, I'm working a lot with young guys that are married that have all their baggage and wrong views and wrong models. And at the end of the day, they just don't know how to treat a woman. Right. <laughs> like, right. This is this. This is my glorified sex toy. That's kind of the the perception they have. Exactly. Yeah. And which that's going to make a wife feel really precious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm being facetious, Yeah, but um, this idea that it's what's in it for me, it's pervasive in our culture today. The Jerry Maguire, uh, you complete me. Well, not really like this is not two half glasses. Jesus completes me. So marriage is about two people serving each other. In my opinion, yes. the best marriages on the planet are two selfless servants that prefer one another. You show me a marriage that's amazing, and I will show you two people that know how to serve each other mm. and please one another sexually, honor one another, prefer one another, serve one another. The worst marriages on the planet are two selfish people Yeah, that are in, what's in it for me. Because the moment it, you, I don't get what I want, and this is what we're seeing today at epidemic proportions, when I don't get what I want, I'm done. I fell out of love with you. I sat with a couple that have been married for 20 years here recently. And the wife's crying. She goes, I was, I said, what's the problem? She goes, he, he says he doesn't love me anymore and just made a decision because he, he was done. And we're seeing that constantly because we have this mentality that if, if my wife or my husband doesn't give me what I want, then mm. that's my, my escape clause. Man. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, think even on that point, like, cause you, you kind of, you kind of spoke to it a little bit, like where the men are viewing women as kind of the glorified sex toy or, or they even think that, you know, women are just like men. You know what I mean? That like oh, yeah. they can yeah. kind of compartmentalize areas <laughs> of their life. And we soon realize that actually there's a lot of things connected to a woman's heart that are not compartmentalized. You know what I mean? So like if things are not right in the family, that's going to affect her, um, you know, her relationship with you is going to, cause it's affecting her heart. And so how do you encourage, cause I'm just trying to think of like what, what Peter wrote in like living with your wives in an understanding way, you know? Right. right? So I, cause I kind of poke fun at that in a little bit. Like it means you're not going to understand like the fact that there's an instruction to do this means you're not going to always understand. So Try to live with your wife in an understanding way. Try to see things from her perspective because she's not seeing the things the same way. She is equal in, in the image of God and a, a priest and a king through, through Christ, but she's wired differently. So how do you encourage or how, what would you say to, to men who are maybe struggling with that disconnect? It's like, I don't get it why we're not having sex. It's like, I'm going to work. I'm doing this. You know, I'm providing the money. and there's no sex. Like what's going on? You know, like, what do you, what do you say to those guys? Uh, I'd say, first of all, welcome to the club. (laughs) Like you're not, you're not the, the odd man out or the unicorn in this. That's probably every single dude on the planet can relate with that at some point. 
And because you're right, men and women are different. I don't care what people say, they are different. Someone wrote a book years ago. I don't even think I read it, but I like the title Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus. It's true. We're in just different worlds from different universes. Mm-hmm. And the longer I've been married to Sabrina, the more I figure out how much I I, I didn't know and have still a lot to learn because she's so different than me. And that shows up in our sex drives and our sexual appetites and how we're wired sexually. That, that sh- is probably more prevalent there than anywhere else. Sure. At least it's more obvious because most of the time guys have a higher sex drive than women. Not always. They're, they're the exception. So it's not a general rule necessarily. There was a study I was reading about and it, uh, it asked uh, kind of ranked where, where sex is and priority for men and women. And for women, uh, sex, well, actually for men, sex was one or two. It's usually honor and sex mm. or sex than honor. Men want, we're wired. That's our mega need. We want to be honored. We want to yeah. be respected. If we don't find it at home, we'll go to the golf course to try to find it there or the gym or the, the ball field. Um, sex usually is number one for guys. Uh, with women, sex wasn't number one. It wasn't number two. It was ranked number 13 in terms of importance. Well, gardening was ranked number 12. What? <laughs> Which, how messed up is that? <laughs> Man. I'd rather garden than have sex. But that's that's where women are. So I, I would to a guy that's married, young or old, I'd say acknowledge the fact you're different, which tells me if you're different, then become a student of your spouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learn her. Most guys that I know are passionate about their interests. So if you got a hobby, if your guy listen, you got a hobby. Most guys do. Maybe different styles. Maybe it's motorcycles. Could be guns, sports. Number. My passions, my hobbies. I I learn. I watch YouTube. Is about. So right now, my passion right now is to build my own gym in the garage because I'm tired of going to a commercial gym. Let's so, go. Come listen, on. I. I am right now at an expert. I'm not bragging, kind of. I'm at an expert level of what it takes to build a garage gym. Why? Because I've watched probably hundreds of hours of YouTube videos and have read articles. I want to know what I'm getting. And so I've just learned. That's how I am. So good. I love motorcycles. So I, I, I read, I watch, I learn, I know what's happening. Guys can understand how they apply that to their passions and hobbies. But for some reason, there's a disconnect and they don't do that with their spouse. So for me, as a young man, uh, uh, we, we've been married now for for 23 years. The first half of our marriage, I was really bad at that. And, and, and Sabrina would say, you're just not romantic. And I was, and I'm like, what does that even mean to be romantic? I'm not mm. going to watch Pride and Prejudice with you. That's, that was what I thought romance was. I was, I felt like Ryan Gosling, which thank you, Canada, for giving us Ryan Gosling. Uh, there's like a meme where he, or from a movie, I think in the notebook, where you're saying, just tell me what you want. That's what I was doing with Sabrina is what do you want? You want flowers? I'll buy you sneaking flowers. Because I think guys have a hard time. Maybe not all of them, but there's this disconnect with romance. And at the end of the day, romance is just pursuing your, your wife. Yeah. And giving the same level of interest and priority that you that you not just the same, but more that you would to your other hobbies and interests. All that to say, if a guy can start doing that, their sex life would take off. If a man would begin to invest emotionally into her wife, 
By the way, a woman's number two mega need is non-sexual affection and touch, mm. which non, non-sexual, like she, she wants a hug. She wants to be held. She wants to actually have a massage where you're not moving around to the front and, and which is hard to do it, but that's, that's the facts. When, when, what I've seen. And I've, I've tested this, like done experiments. When I, when I up the level of spiritual intimacy, meaning we're praying together, I'm leading my home spiritually and and praying over her as a priest in our home. And then when I'm leading her and investing emotionally and and having conversations and and actually talking and 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 having dialogue about our heart and the the most natural thing, she wants to have sex and it's good sex. Mm-hmm. But guys are 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 putting the focus just on the sexual part neglecting the physical part neglecting the emotional right. neglecting the spiritual and they're wondering why the fire's gone cold like, yeah. bro you need to put a log on the fire yeah put a log and so I, I tell our guys if the grass is greener on the other side it's because you need to water your own lawn it's facts yeah like invest in what you got and so I'm giving you these slogans, but these are what we preach and teach our people and the guys that I lead is that we we don't we don't we don't date to get married. We we get married to date. And there's a big difference. Hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not just I'm not gonna date you to to put a trophy in the case wow. and bag you and tag you like I would a deer or an elk. But I'm gonna I'm gonna marry you with the with the priority to continually pursue you and date you and romance you and invest in you and prioritize you. And God's honest truth. As I've done that, that has, that's made sex way better, bro. That's so (laughs) good. A woman will want to have sex with a man that invests in her spiritually and emotionally. I promise you that money back guarantee. Take it to the bank. So good. So good. I think, you know, you mentioned like one of the fuels of a man's heart kind of being honor. Um, I think too, like there's to, to quote Jordan Peterson, he kind of unpacks the, the story of Peter Pan as kind of like the boys that never grow up and, and, mm-hmm. and they're kind of prevent, they're kind of presented with like, Hey, you have this opportunity to have Wendy, but that means you're going to have to grow up. You know what I mean? Right. And you're going to have to, you can't just live in this fantasy land right. or you could have Tinkerbell. That's kind of like pornography, you know, like she's good looking, attractive, kind of doesn't say much, you know what I mean? Like, and you can have that, but if you want the genuine, if you want Wendy, you're going to have to grow wow. up. But that's that, a good illustration. That, yeah. But Jordan Peterson, another Canadian <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Maybe not everybody loves him, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I do. But uh, he, he had just unpacked something that's just really important too, is the reality of embracing suffering in servanthood. Because I think that's, that's authentic so masculinity good. is putting yourself so in a place that you will take the brunt and protect, but also serve at the same time, not to sound like cops or something like that, like to serve and protect. But, but like, but I think that's, that's real that's nice. authentic masculinity is that you are presenting yourself as a safe presence safe around women and children, but dangerous to darkness, dangerous to those things that would want to, to evil that would try to destroy those things. But you're also taking that place as a, as a servant, embracing suffering for the betterment of, of our families and of those who are close to us. How do you encourage men to see suffering, um, as a tool that would work for them 
and not something to be avoided. I think that's one of the marks of true masculinity is the willing to sacrifice. That's that, I mean, that's what Paul taught. Mm-hmm. The, the highly controversial topic of submission women, I, I, all the millennials, when I go to weddings now and, and I mention the wife submit to your, you can see them all flare up in oh, the yeah. audience. And, and they probably got their signs already made, you know what I mean? Going to protest the wedding. That, that's going <laughs> against the culture that wives submit to Ephesians five, yeah. wives submit to husbands. But if you, if you compare that to what Paul requires of husbands, there's no comparison, man. That's like right. In terms of level of difficulty, husbands, lay down your life, essentially mm-hmm. saying die for her as Christ did mm-hmm. for the church. Yeah. Like, okay, so submit, come under or die. We, this one's more painful in my opinion. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a tall order that he gives. And so it is the the command of, to, for a husband to, to give sacrificially and to like, like you said, to, to suffer on behalf of his family, to sacrifice. I think that's a mark of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And we see that all the way back at the garden of Eden. When before Eve showed up on the scene, Adam had to sacrifice. Mm. He didn't ask for it, but God made it happen. He went under surgery and literally bled for her. God ripped a bone out of his, his rib cage Mm. He had to give of himself for her benefit. And I think that is, that's the model of what masculinity is. That masculinity is not this toxic idea that I'm the head of my house. That means I get the TV clicker and get me my water and this weird tyrannical dominator of the home. No, it's, it's about how well can you serve and sacrifice and lay down your life for your wife and for your family. Matt, this has been such a great conversation. Honestly, I appreciate your heart and just your passion to see men live authentically as Christ would, would call them to not, um, not just to have a, a, a great sex life, but to really experience the goodness of God in all areas of their life. But if, if we could just leave one thing uh, with the young men who are listening or just the men, the husbands or soon to be husbands or single men, um, what would you want to leave with them? I would challenge any guy listening right now, make sure you've got a group of guys that you are connecting with. I think it's one of the best, most practical things you could do. And let me qualify the group of guys, some godly men that are where you want to be. Maybe mm. a couple steps in front of you, maybe way in front of you. I think one of the best things young guys can do is get around some old guys that have lived life, have some battle scars, survived, still have a strong marriage, kids that love them and love Jesus. Those are the guys I'm going after saying, tell me how to do it. Because the reality is you are going to become like the guys you hang around. You're, you're going to view life and you're going to live life like the people you spend the most time with. So get around some strong guys that are running in the direction that you're called to run. So It'll good. Be a game changer. So good. How can people stay in touch with you? Well, don't follow me on social media because I never post anything. I'm never on it, but you can always check out what's going on in Oceanside, San Diego County, County, California, uh, through gracesd.tv. That's our church website, or you can follow along our two podcasts that we have are Parenting on the Go. If you've got kids, check that out, Parenting on the Go. Uh, but our favorite podcast is called Marriage on the Go, and we have tons of resource on there on almost every topic you could imagine pertaining to marriage. So some great content. So good, man. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast, and I look forward Thank to doing you. this again sometime soon. 
Love you guys. Come to San Diego. Yeah, we will. We will. (laughs) Bless you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.